It was great to be together, to worship together, to, uh, to sing songs to the living God. And as Rick said, our worship is not uh, just here as we sing, but it carries us uh, throughout the week. In fact, it's kind of the engine of our heart as we continue to worship God. We want to uh, welcome everyone online. We thank you for being with us. Everyone in uh, Robinson and Washington, everyone in Wilkinsburg and Ross Traver. And guys, we had a great week here at the Bible Chapel. We had, for the first time ever, neighborhood vacation Bible school. Because of COVID, we didn't bring everyone here like we've done in the past, but we went out, which is a great a missional thing to do into all the neighborhoods. And uh, I don't have all the numbers on this from the campuses, but here in the South Hills, on Thursday evening, we shared the gospel and 47 kids said they trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And we're excited about that. And those of you who join us online, we have a lot of people joining us online. And uh, when we share the gospel, there's opportunity for you to uh, say that you make a profession. And last week, we had 14 people who join us online saying that they were trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we appreciate that, and we're excited to follow up with you and just to let you know uh, that we're here to, to help you as you uh, journey with Christ. Okay, so we're involved in a series of sermons we've called Know God, Tough Questions, Real Answers. And we started by saying that God is incomprehensible. He is beyond human understanding, and yet he makes himself known to us. He demonstrates his love by making himself known to us. Last time we saw that God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They, they, are, they are equal in essence. They are equal in authority. They are equal in every aspect about them. They have different functions we saw last time. God the Father loves us so much that he would send his son Jesus Christ to die for us on a cross. God the Son came and rescued us. And God the Holy Spirit lives within us. He's the one who befriends us. What we want to do today is to talk about the fact that God is independent. God is independent. His attribute of independence. And what does that mean? And how does that apply to our lives? So let's pray and ask God for his help as we do that. Father, thank you. You're a God who knows us and cares for us and loves us. And our desire, Lord, through this series is to know you more intimately, to live for you more intentionally, and to share you more boldly. So be with us, Lord, as we look at your word. Teach us as only you can do whatever is going on in our life. Lord, break through it and, 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 and allow us to hear from you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God is independent. He depends on no person or no thing for his existence or his work. Not so with us, right? We are helpless from our first breath to our last. We depend on others to give us food, unless somehow you grow all your own. 
We depend on others for our livelihood. We depend on others to meet certain needs in our lives. We, we, we depend on others for medicine, for care. We depend on others to do things for us, to make things for us, to provide things for us. And even if you could say, even if you could say, no, I don't depend on anyone else. I am completely independent. Well, then good luck in being independent from God unless you can make your own oxygen and water. We don't have it in us to be independent, do we? And God doesn't have it in him to be dependent on anything. He is free from influence. He's free from persuasion. He is free from being controlled or manipulated. His actions and emotions and will are totally self-governed. God relies on no one or no thing. He relies only in himself and on himself. Let me give you two words that help us understand the independence of God, this, this critical attribute. One word, hyphenated word, two words, I guess. God is self-existent. God is self-existent. Now, the young child and philosopher alike will ask the question, where did God come from? And, th and that question is based on the knowledge that for us, we all come from something. There always has to be an origin, but not so with God because his self-existence is based on the fact that he is eternal. There was never a time when he wasn't. There will never be a time when he isn't. Moses in Psalm 90 wrote this, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Just read that last part with me. You ready? From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From eternity past to eternity future, he has been, he is, and he will be God. Later on in Psalm 90, Moses says that to you, God, a thousand years is like yesterday. We can't understand that, can we? There's a little book called... Uh, children's letters to God, and a boy named Dennis wrote this, Dear God, my grandpa says you were around when he was a little boy. Just how far back do you go? We don't have a place in our mind to put that, do we? Eternality of God. Because God is self-existent, he depends on no one or no thing for life, Jesus says, the Father has life in himself. Just let that soak. The Father has life in himself. He's the possessor of life. He's the giver of life. Psalm, 9, uh, Psalm 36, 9, he is the fountain of life. He is the source of life. In the Old Testament, God's primary name proclaims his self-existence. Throughout the story of creation, remember we saw last time in the beginning, God, Elohim, the mighty creator, created the heavens and the earth. But then when you get down to God creating man, Moses, the writer of the first five books, the writer of Genesis said, he is Yahweh Elohim. 
Now, this is interesting because the word Yahweh is the to be verb, the verb of existence. Moses, again, is writing Genesis, and he's writing Genesis after he had that experience with God. Remember the experience he had with God? God said, Moses, I want you to go free the children of Israel, and I want you to speak to Pharaoh. And Moses says, who will I say sent me? Remember what God said? I am that I am. Yahweh. I am. I am. I'm the self-existent one. Everything is in me and from me. I am is God's proper name. It's in the present tense, showing that his, that his essence knows no past and it knows no future. It is just one eternal I am. He is now what he's always been, and he is now what he always will be. And nothing can be added to, to him to, to, to make him more complete, and nothing can be taken from him ever. He is I am, the self-existent one. Secondly, he is the self-sufficient one. God doesn't need anything. A need expresses a limitation. A need expresses incompleteness. God is not limited, not deficient. He's fully complete. He requires nothing outside himself. Remember a few weeks ago, we, as we introduced this series, we talked about Paul going into Athens. He was waiting on some friends. Paul toured the city of Athens and he saw the city full of idols and he said it was distressed in his soul because he saw all these idols and so he even saw one idol that said to the unknown God. And so he spoke to the philosophers later and he said, this God you, you've made an idol to, you say the unknown God, just in case you missed one, let me introduce to you who he is. And in that introduction, Paul says he is self-existent, self-sufficient. Listen to what Paul says. The God who made the world, uh, Acts 17, 24 and 25, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by, made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed something, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's not served by human hands as if he needed something. He is self-sufficient. Paul proclaims God's self-sufficiency. He doesn't need us to run an errand for him. He doesn't need us to do a favor for him. He doesn't need us to pick up the slack for him. He doesn't need us to provide counsel for him. He is self-sufficient. Now think about that for a little bit. We, we, we can't understand that. Because every relationship we have is based on a need, right? Every relationship we have is based on a physical need or an emotional need. Even in the most intimate human relationship, there's a need for something in us. We need to be satisfied. If I called you and said, hey, let's meet together, in the old days, we could say, let's meet together. Right now, we say, let's Zoom together. You would say, I wonder what he, what? I wonder what he wants. I wonder what he needs. 
I wonder why he's calling. Innate in you would be, he didn't just call me for no reason. There's a need for that. When we talk about a relationship, even even when we're proposing, right? We say, I love you and I what? I need you. And that's a great thing and we want to be needed. But the fact is we, we need other people. We need something in a relationship. And so think about it. As a human, as a sinful human, every relationship, even the the best relationship, has a sense of selfishness to it. Right? Because we need something. Not so with God. Not so with God. There's nothing in him that needs anything. He is perfectly self-existent and self-sufficient. And that's something we need to let settle within our hearts. We need to take time to think these thoughts of God, big thoughts of God. And you know what? We don't take much time to do that, do we? This past Friday, Pew Research came out with some polling they did, some data they found regarding how people are coping with COVID. You know what they found? They found 89% of people are now watching TV and movies daily. 89% of people. Let me break that down for you. 90% of Christians. 87% of Jews and 88% of people who have no religious affiliation said they are coping by watching television and movies. What percentage of people do you think said they are praying weekly? I mean, that's not a big ask, is it? Prayer week? 55%. How many people do you think are reading scripture daily? 29%. We're in an interesting time. Usually in crisis, it drives us to God. It seems this prolonged crisis is driving us away. 29% are reading the Bible regularly but 90% of Christians are watching TV in the news and movies. No wonder we're confused. A.W. Tozier wrote back in 1961 in his book called The Knowledge of God. Listen to what he says. It's not a cheerful thought that millions of us who live in the land of the Bibles, who belong to churches and labor to promote the Christian religion, may yet pass our whole life without once having thought seriously about the being of God. Few of us let our hearts gaze in wonder at the self-existence of God. Such thoughts are too painful for us. We would prefer to think where it would do more good, how to build a better mousetrap, for instance, or how to make two blades of grass grow where one grew before. And this is the way he says, in 1961, and for this, we are paying too heavy a price in the secularization of our religion and the decay of our inner lives. 
You believe that? Our thoughts of God, aren't, aren't, they aren't big enough, are they? Our thoughts of God are small because we keep God in a little box. And when our thoughts of God are big, then we can address the big issues in our life. But when our thoughts of God are small, he's not big enough for the big issues. Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah the prophet was writing to people who had a very small view of God. And he reminds everyone that God is in charge. He's self-existent. He's self-sufficient. He is sovereign over all. He controls nations, the world, the world leaders, and the universe. And in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, he says this, Have you not seen, have you not heard rhetorical questions? Certainly you have that the Lord is the what? The everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. It's time we had big thoughts about God, thinking about God in his attributes that our mind can't comprehend. Maybe our minds would hurt a little, as Tozer says, just thinking about this greatness of God. Our biggest challenge today is not that we don't believe in God, We believe in a God that is little and small and not all that powerful. Too many of us put our trust in the government or political parties or medicine or medical experts or money. Serving the everlasting and comprehensible God, we put our trust in man. In 1715... Louis XIV of France died. Louis was full of himself, and he once called, he called himself uh, Louis the Great, and he once said, I am the state. When he died, he wanted his funeral to be spectacular, so he put, had his body in a golden coffin, and to, to dramatize his greatness, he ordered that the cathedral where his funeral was be dimly lit, and by this golden coffin, there was a big candle that as the, it was dark and this candle just lit his coffin. The bishop, Bishop Massillon, went up to speak. And he stood behind on the stage behind the coffin. You know what he did? He went and he snuffed out the candle. And he said, only God is great. Only God is is great. Maybe there's some candles we need to snuff out, right? That illuminate the idols. Maybe ourselves in that golden casket or other idols in our life. God is independent. He is self-existent. He is self-sufficient. And yet, and yet, He wants us to know him intimately. Think about that. He doesn't need us. In my relationships, I need other people. The best, my most intimate relationship, there's selfishness to it. God doesn't need anyone. And yet, he wants us to know him. Just think of that. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. 
Three things, four things real quick. Because God is independent, self-sufficient, and self-existent. He loves me unconditionally. His desire to know me adds nothing to his person, adds nothing to his emotions. He loves me without condition. I bring nothing to the relationship that's pure, unconditional love. Because God is independent, self-existent, and self-sufficient, he not only loves me unconditionally, but his gift to me is absolutely free. Salvation is a free gift of God. I add nothing to the work of salvation. I bring nothing to the table. And that's the stumbling block for most people because you have to humble yourself to say, I don't bring anything to this. God's not more complete by having me on his team. God's not greater by having me on his team. It's all about him and it's not about me. My sin separates me from God. Isaiah says our best effort is as filthy rags. It doesn't even register on God's list of perfection. God is self-existent. He's self-sufficient. But he came in human form to die for us, not because he needed us, but because he loved us unconditionally. And he gives this relationship to us free. Because God is independent, self-existent, and self-sufficient. He not only loves me unconditionally, his gift is for me is not only free, but his desire for me is pure. His desire for me is pure. It is without condition. It is a gift of grace. Nothing, we can't earn it, we can't deserve it. He needs nothing. And yet, He wants me. His relationship, again, our relationships are built on need, but not God's. He has everything he wants. He created everything, the seas, the water. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He raised the dead. He raised from the dead. We can't add anything to his person. And yet he desires to have a relationship with us. One more. He prepares me for eternity by letting me work with him in time. God's plan is always good. He gives us specific gifts, not only spiritual gifts, but training, experiences. He has never wasted a moment of your time. Whatever experiences you have in your life, some of them fantastic, some of them extremely difficult, God will use them because he wants to use you in time for eternity. He'll take the things you've been through, the challenges you've been through, the joys of your life. He takes all them. He takes your gifts as well, and he allows you to use them for his purposes and for his glory. This God who loves us unconditionally, he gives us this free gift. His love for us is pure. He desires us to work with him in time. And when we find that gift and when we find what he wants us to do and we understand the plans we have, there's nothing like that in all of our life. That's the most fulfilling. 
That's the most meaningful, that's the most purposeful thing that you can do in your life. When you go to this God who doesn't need you and says, I want you. And I want to use you to work in time for eternity. Isn't that the God you want a relationship with? The God who is independent, yet desires a relationship with you. The God who doesn't need us, but wants us. We add nothing to him, and yet he wants us to be his child. If you haven't trusted in Jesus... Today's the day. I'm going to pray, and you can follow along. And if God's working in your heart, last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit works in our heart. And if God's working in your heart, and you want to know this God who doesn't need you but loves you so much that he would die on a cross for your sin, a God who loves you so much he wants you to call him Father, A God who loves you so much, he sent his son to rescue you. A God who loves you so much, he sent the Holy Spirit to befriend you. If you want a relationship with that God, then just please pray this prayer with me. And we'd love to know here online or here in person if you pray this so we can follow up and get you going in your walk with Christ. Father, I pray that as I sit before you or stand before you, I thank you that you are a God who needs nothing and no one, and yet you choose to use me. You choose to to have a relationship with me. You sent your son to rescue me. I want that. I want that. I'm tired of the meaninglessness. I'm tired of the purposelessness. I'm tired of trying to find answers like the 90% who look for those answers on TV. I want you to be my answer. And right now I trust in Jesus alone as the only way to have a relationship with you, the living God. Right now I trust in Jesus alone for this relationship with the God whose love is pure and unconditional who sent his son to rescue me. I trust in Jesus. Amen. We'd love to know if you prayed that prayer so we can follow up with you. Now, as we get ready to sing, let me just talk to believers just for a second. I want to remind all of us who are believers that there may be idols in our life that we need to snuff out, right? I had a Facebook message this week, and the guy said, he just said, how do you you deal with the idols in your life? Like, Like, can you really get rid of them, or can they just become more dim? And I was thinking about that when I read that story about Louis the 14th. He snuffed out the candles. So we need to snuff out the candles of some of the idols in our life. 
We need to be reminded that God the Father loves us. And Jesus, a rescuer, came to die for us. And the Holy Spirit lives within us. God saw our condition and sent his son to die for us. We have to, we have to respond to that. As a believer, can you imagine that kind of love? He doesn't want us to carry the confusion and the fear and the dread and the anger. By the way, those are all idols when they take over our lives. He wants to be the perfect father. J.I. Packer says this. I love what J.I. Packer says. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. How would you do in that evaluation? God the Father loves you. And he wants you to run into his arms. That's our, that's our statement of faith today. That, that, that's what we talk about when we talk about God being independent and wanting us. He wants us to run from fear. And he wants us to run from confusion. And he wants us to run from the toxic nature of division. And he wants us to run to him into his arms that are full of grace. And allow him to work in our lives as our father and our what? Our rescuer and our friend. And when tomorrow, fear and anxiety takes over again, what do we do? We run back to his arms again and again and again. Let's stand and sing this song together. Running to the Father again and again and again. Make this, don't, don't sing this song. Make this your prayer before God running to the arms of the Heavenly Father.